Crime Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk. Welcome to CM Red, I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. A uh, very warm welcome to everybody listening at home and also to our live audience uh, here today as well. Yes, because this episode is coming to you from CrimeCon. So we are absolutely thrilled to be here. Yeah. Bethan was here last year by herself because I was mm-hmm. on holiday, obviously. obviously. Uh, so I, I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here today and um, really hoping to meet lots of you later on. Um, and because we are here for this week's episode, we are going to mix things up a little bit. Uh, we're going to do it a bit differently. If you're familiar with the show, then you'll know that we take it in turns each week. We tell each other about a case that we're particularly fascinated by. Um, this week, though, we're going to kind of take it in turns to tell you the story, really. So. Yes, we're both going to get involved with telling the story. You're not going to have me nattering on the whole time. You're going to have Mark nattering on as well. So yeah, there we go. messing up my words, probably, as yeah, well. Yeah, obviously. Uh, normally, when we record, we just kind of take the line again. But you probably have to persevere with us today. Uh, there's some weird names in this There's one. some really good pronunciations, go, aren't there? We go to Eastern Europe, so wish us luck. Uh, so before we do get started with the episode, because uh, we know everybody loves a long introduction, uh, we wanted to give a special shout-out to Gemma Gould, who is a long-time listener. Uh, she recommended this case to us. It's a fascinating case. Uh, thank you so much, Gemma. I know you'll be listening at home. Um, and she is just, like, the nicest, most lovely person we've had the pleasure of getting to know. Uh, on social media isn't she yeah she is she's such a little angel she's always checking in on us and our listeners she asks how people are and she's really lovely so thank you very much Gemma for the suggestion as this episode is being recorded live we're going to add any show sponsors in later and we won't have any Patreon thank yous to share but we will pick up with you all next week for your name checks but please know how grateful we are so without further ado let's crack on This week we are going to go back to a topic that I know Mark absolutely loves, audacious, glamorous heists. This week we're going to be discussing the infamous Pink Panthers, so jewel thieves whose crimes span numerous countries and continents, crimes which have been described as some of the most glamorous heists in history, and criminals who have been described as the best diamond thieves. And if that's not a title for a criminal to be proud of, uh, I'm not too sure what it is. So, um, as Bethan said, this week's case oozes glamour, it's high stakes, high octane, very me, mm-hmm. or, or not. Ish. Um, Ish. It's what you want to be. It's what I want to be, what yeah, you wanna that's be. absolutely right. So, uh, it did get me thinking though, so Bethan, if you were to commit a crime, based on how I know you and your mm-hmm. personality, if you were to commit a crime, what do you think it would be? Oh, okay, let me turn it around. If if you thought I, if you heard that I'd been arrested, what crime do you think I had committed? 
let's well, do it. Let's do it that yeah, way. Okay. I'll see what crime I think you uh, would have so committed. We, we discussed it on the with Mike from the Murder Mile podcast recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Bethan's a closet serial killer in the making. Personally, <laughs> um, I think you're far too calm and relaxed. Obviously, I call her a freak all the time mm-hmm. for that reason. You do. So I, I could see that, and I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think if you mm, told me. Thank you. <laughs> what about me? What do you think I could actually get away with? See, I genuinely think that you'd get arrested for like a really accidental stupid crime that went way too wrong like you think to yourself like oh I'll just quickly um, change something at work but you'd actually end up losing a company millions of dollars and it would just all go absolutely wrong and you're just sat there sipping your coffee a bit like oh I I didn't know this had happened Hmm. and then yeah you'd be arrested for like major fraud or something so like fucking something up and yeah. yeah I could see it happening but you wouldn't have meant to do it that's what I think yeah. would be the saddest part I'd be sat there thinking like oh poor Mark all he wanted was like me. I've always said for some reason I always feel like I'm going to end up in prison one day and not not <laughs> by my own volition but I'm going to mess something up so uh, <laughs> let's get on with the case then so The Pink Panthers have been described as an international network of thieves with roughly 800 members. We know with some certainty that many of these members are ex-soldiers and they have extensive military and paramilitary backgrounds and they mostly hail from a handful of Balkan countries, so Serbia, Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina, which Bethan had to teach me how to pronounce earlier. Don't Um, say that because in case it's wrong. It could still be wrong, and Croatia as well. Uh, So these members are believed by Interpol and law enforcement agencies to have fought in the Bosnian war before later deciding to use their military prowess for more nefarious gain. Many of the gang members were soldiers in the early 1990s when the former Yugoslavia dissolved into deadly war. When the war was over, the countries these gang members came from remained corrupt. They were destitute and riddled with landmines, very unfortunately. And it's been theorised that the Pink Panthers were desperate to get out of their respective homelands and it's said that they snuck into wealthy European Union countries in the pursuit of jobs really but because of immigration sanctions that wasn't unfortunately possible for them so uh, yeah they couldn't find work they decided to use their skills that they had had learnt in the war uh, to target the rich uh, not famous necessarily but rich people in rich cities basically Interpol Secretary General Ron Noble has likened the Pink Panthers to a terrorist organisation. He said they are a network of dozens, if not hundreds of criminals, working in small cells for mysterious central authorities. In 2007, Interpol launched a task force to identify and catch the Pink Panthers. Whilst not all members of the organisation have been caught, and so we don't know all of the gang members by name, there have been some arrests and convictions over the years. Interestingly, the structure of the organisation has been described as modern, uh, which we'll come on to in a second. (laughs) Um, And what they mean by that really is that there are men and women involved in this gang. Uh, So a bit like our podcasting partnership, isn't it? Very very even. I know you thought that that was a bit of like a weird thing to kind of say, modern and equal, but... I do think it makes sense because in general if you think of a gang or a crime syndicate it's it's very few women that are, yeah. that, are that involved it's unusual which is why when we were reading the Linda Calvey's book we were then saying mm. that's what's quite unusual and interesting with her is that she's yeah. a lady and she's in charge and taking control so. yeah yeah her book was amazing so she's here today 
Um, it's so weird seeing Bethan because normally we, we oh, record we remotely, done this so for years, um, have I can we? actually see you, which is oh, amazing. Oh, gross. Uh, yeah, <laughs> rude. so rude. Um, so the Pink Panthers have been successful largely due to their smash and grab style, uh, with the majority of their heists lasting minutes or even seconds in some cases. And while the heists don't uh, last for very long, the payout from the heists probably does because it's absolutely huge in the cases that we're going to go on to mm-hmm. cover. Um, so, for example, in less than one minute, several members of the gang managed to steal a stunning $31 million diamond necklace with a 125-carat stone. Bethan originally put 1,225 carats. Don't tell them that. Um, so this was, n- which I knew that they Mark, didn't Mark was like, I didn't know carats went to 1,225. Yeah. I was like, um, that was a typo, sorry. Obviously Bethan's fault, not mine. Of course. Uh, so this uh, necklace, or whatever the hell it was, was um, known as the Comtesse de Vendôme, uh, and it was uh, from a Tokyo jeweler. And actually at the time, uh, this was the biggest heist Japan had ever seen. So it's $31 million necklace, which is mad. The group is known for their calculated planning, so opting for disguises that are less like the international crime you'd expect, but instead allow them to just blend in. So outfits like touristy Hawaiian shirts or golf gear, police uniforms, construction clothes, and the gang are smart. So at one point they slathered a bench with a fresh coat of paint so nobody would sit on the bench so there wouldn't be any witnesses that were sat there watching. Which I thought was a great idea. Brilliant, they literally painted it and then went in and did the heist, so very clever. And they escape, I mean, not just by car, but also speedboats, scooters, bicycles. It all depends on the location. So the prep work undertaken by the gang in the run-up to a heist is absolutely immense. One former member of the Pink Panthers spoke of her role in the gang. So her job was to scope out jewellery stores before a raid. She'd pretend to be a customer and examine everything in the shop uh, before reporting back to the gang and then sitting with an artist who would sketch out a very detailed plan of that shop. And it would be to the centimetre, wouldn't it? So Yeah, she literally said if she got something wrong, like half a metre to the left or half a metre to the right, it could be the end of the whole whole heist so she had this photographic memory and she had to get it absolutely spot on yeah so with this woman for example she wasn't of course scoping out a local branch of h samuel not that there's anything wrong with h samuel Uh, i was gonna say yeah but these were you know very fancy stores uh yeah she was targeting the big guns and of course she needed to look the part so she would arrive in a chauffeur driven car Um, I think one of them arrived in a chauffeur-driven Bentley a bit later on. She'd be wearing expensive clothes, and it wasn't just acting the part. She really needed to take on this part um, and be that person in order to not raise suspicion in these high-end establishments, which I sort of get. It makes sense to me. It's the kind Um, of job I'd quite like to do. I think think you could pull this off, I'd love to do that. You're pretty calm. I reckon you could go in there. The only problem is is I don't have No knickers, obviously. Obviously he was going to say something like (laughs) that. Or fur coat and no knickers, Beth and I. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Mark. Carry on. But I don't have the photographic memory. That would be the problem. I'd but, be like, oh. But you, you're a pretty good artist. And Bethan, when we used to work together, Bethan used to... The artist impression. She'd do an artist impression because I'm, I'm obsessed with Crime Watch. Watch all the vintage episodes. And they would always have these terrible artist yeah. impressions. So Bethan would say, oh, you know, so-and-so. I was talking to so-and-so the other day. And I'd be like, who's that? And she'd be like, I'd do an artist impression yeah. for you. would be like, do an artist impression. Here's the paper. And so I'd have to spend like, an draw hour something. of work's time. We uh, didn't yeah. spend an hour. We spent <laughs> 10 minutes on our lunch break. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> 
Law enforcement suspects that the group is responsible for over 500 million US dollars worth of gold and diamonds from robberies that took place in. Are you ready for the massive list? Yes. Australia, Austria, Belgium, Cyprus, France, Germany, Japan, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, Monaco, the Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, Switzerland, the United Arab Emirates, United States of America, and of course the United Kingdom. Just a few. I put them in alphabetical order for you because I thought you'd like that. I didn't notice that, actually. Classic um, Beth in there, yeah. Um, why did I bother? I'm not surprised, no. And a number of the gang's members have been caught and prosecuted, so a lot of the intel comes from the cases that are known about. However, there are plenty of other cases which are attributed to the gang, but without enough evidence to secure a conviction. And it is believed that in the space of six years, the Pink Panthers robbed 120 stores in 20 countries, although others suggest the gang is responsible for over 300 heists. Obviously, we wouldn't be able to go through them all. So we've picked out a few cases to discuss today. Yeah, so 300 highs. We're just going to go through 250 of exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Are you ready, guys? Uh, so I'll speak really quickly. Uh, so, yeah, uh, This is a fascinating one, the first one we're going to cover off. So for the first case, we head to my favourite holiday destination, Vegas. Which is why I gave you this one to talk I know about. You I thought did. you'd enjoy this. Uh, I recognise some of the places, which is great. Oh, of course so, you do. Of course I do. Yeah, I'm always there. Uh, so it was on the evening of the 5th of December in 2002 when a tall, well-dressed man arrived at the Bernard K. Passman Gallery in the Venetian Grand Canal shopping area, which I'm familiar with. Anyone else familiar with that? Yeah, I'm getting some nodding heads. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this well-dressed man asked the sales assistant about some jewellery in an exterior display cabinet, and the pair headed outside to take a look. Described as having a receding hairline and speaking in accented English, which we're not really sure what that means, uh, there was nothing else that really stood out about this customer who had arrived at the store at about 8.30 that evening, only that he slung his jacket over his shoulder in what has been described as a European style. You didn't like so that, I did didn't you? like this. <laughs> this was from one of the witnesses, so for an American person there, that's what they felt it looked like, someone slinging. And I can mm. I get that, like if you think of someone like, I don't know, what did I say like earlier, Preppy. just walking along like the Riviera, just with like a linen suit, mm. and then you sling your jacket over your shoulder, and he's probably got a yeah, hat, perhaps. like this guy didn't have a hat, but you'd probably have a hat on the beach, and just fancy looking older man. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, so this fancy looking older man was soon followed. <laughs> Uh, was soon followed by an accomplice, and this man, the accomplice, wearing a beret, beret. Again, he didn't like that. I can't that. say this word. He didn't word. like that. I put There's beret in There's a couple of other him. words coming up. Uh, so uh, this guy took the attention of the second sales assistant, and between the uh, the two of them, these two customers kept the sales staff so busy that they didn't notice when two other men walked into the store. Now, these two men made their way to a case containing the Millennium Necklace, which has been described as an incredible piece of jewellery worth a million dollars. And it is incredible. It sounds a bit uh, pretentious because it's been described as a wearable sculpture, Uh, but it's made of platinum, black black coral, and it contains 2,000 diamonds. So it's pretty fancy. Pretty fancy. And it's worth a million dollars, and it's just in a case in this store in Vegas. So, the distracted staff didn't notice as the pair began to mess with the case containing the Millennium Necklace, or when they opened the case, or when they left immediately afterwards, uh, soon followed by the man in the beret. 
Uh, just three minutes, 52 seconds later, after the uh, guy, the tall, well-dressed man had arrived, uh, he also left. So all four of them had left within pretty much four minutes. So now alone in a suddenly empty shop, the sales assistants realized at this point that the Millennium necklace was missing. And the thieves had managed to take this necklace and they'd not left a single fingerprint in there either. Uh, so they'd done a very quick, very good job. Four CCTV cameras had caught the audacious heist from four different angles, but none of the cameras had produced any images that could identify any of these individuals. Yes, they'd been really clever with like yeah. scoping it out beforehand. They knew how to kind of stand to not get spotted, which is, it shows that planning that they always yeah. did. We're noting down these ideas for... Our uh, retirement, basically, yeah, retirement <laughs> fund. Uh, so Metro, Metro detective Brian Mildebrand, who worked the case, would later comment to the Las Vegas Sun newspaper, they worked like a well-oiled machine. Everyone had their job, everyone did their job well. We are dealing with a really high-end team. Detective Mildebrand and his team hoped that the lure of a massive jewellery <laughs> trade convention would be too much for the thieves to resist. So I in, had to put that I in, know I'm you so did. sorry. And I can't ever think of an alternative word. Sometimes I pronounce it lure, which is definitely wrong. It's I, lure. lure. The lure. The lure. 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 No, oh, I even I don't know how to say it now. Um, oh, anyway, so there's a jewellery convention happening six months after the, the Millennium Necklace has been stolen. This is happening in Vegas. So Detective Mildebrandt and his team knew that this gang could potentially come back because uh, it would be very difficult for them to resist, really. Um, so they were staking out this event that was taking place once again in Las Vegas. And at one point, they spotted a man they believed to be the tall, well-dressed man, and they tracked him down. So his name was... Joro Markalic, he was Bosnian, and he admitted that he'd been at the Venetian when the Millennium Necklace was stolen. Detectives who described Markalic as a smooth talker charged him with burglary and grand larceny, so they had enough evidence at this point. And as police arrested him and put cuffs on him, Markalic let a room key fall out of his pocket. Not on purpose, it just happened. So the room key led back to a suite at the glamorous Flamingo Hotel. Um, with two queen beds in there and two rollaway cots and Bethan said this is perfect for a four-man team uh, so it was a four-man team six months prior at this store uh, and then they're back again and I said the cots I can't see this he for two grown, was, grown-ass guys he thought cots like babies sleep in and I had to explain to him they're like fold-away beds not not a baby cot we're not like making some giant man I did wonder tuck himself into a cot and then Bethan rudely said every day is a school day for me <laughs> yeah. uh, which is so true so this room was booked for two more days at this point but when detectives arrived frustratingly they found the suite had been deserted and also it had been wiped clean of any evidence or fingerprints and detective Mildebrand said they were gone in a heartbeat we probably missed them by about 10 minutes which we are bothered by I want to know how he know. like I couldn't find out anything about how they knew about 10 minutes I wondered if he was just trying to like make himself feel a bit better because what if they've been gone for a whole day and you didn't find yeah. them but yeah. maybe he was oh we love a was. conspiracy maybe he was but yeah, yeah maybe he's just trying to make himself feel better or maybe they did have evidence of these people leaving after, be. you know before but this whole thing's like a movie though isn't it, it? Is. so it's um you can imagine them like bursting into the yeah. suite and then going oh, it's been cleared yeah 
So a yellow diamond pendant worth more than $700,000 had been stolen at this jewellery convention in Las Vegas. That had been stolen four days before police stormed this suite at the Flamingo. And some theorise that this was down to the Pink Panthers and have kind of christened this as the second uh, heist of theirs in Las Vegas following that one six, month er six months earlier. Um, but that's never been proven, has it? So we don't no. really know. They didn't recover it. Maybe if they had arrived 10 minutes earlier, as Detective Mildebrandt said, they'd have perhaps got the diamond necklace. I'll make you feel guilty, why don't no, you? No, I think they did a good job in this case, to be fair. <laughs> and the rest of the team weren't apprehended either, ever. No, they weren't. So that they was weren't. that. The crime which earned the gang their nickname took place in 2003. So in May that year, the flagship store of luxury jewellers Graffs in London had an eccentrically dressed customer arrive. He was also wearing a wig, which sales assistants quickly noticed as it was a bit of a rubbish wig, quite obvious. And the man asked to look at some items and then he suddenly brandished a magnum and told everyone to get on the floor. And I had to tell Mark that's not a magnum <laughs> ice cream. It's no, I, and I thought a magnum of champagne yeah, for some reason, didn't My I? first thought was an ice cream and his was champagne. You can tell the difference and between we, we us, can't And we work in the true crime sphere. Yeah, and we, we should still have don't gone gun straight away. Yeah. And now I want ice creams. So that's great. And I want champagnes. So. Let's have champagne. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that at lunch. <laughs> Come and join us for champagne at lunch, apparently, yeah. everybody. It's on we'll Mark. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so he told everyone to get on the floor, and then at this point, a second man entered and began smashing the display cases and grabbing items. So Nebajosa, Denich, and Pedrig Ruzicek. Not Ruz bad. Well, I'm not sure. They had taken 47 items, totaling £23 million. A security guard gave chase and actually caught one of them, so he managed to subdue Denich by sitting on him, and <laughs> apparently he ripped off the wig and told him he looked really dumb and like berated him for this rubbish wig, which I just thought was the most British thing you could possibly do, isn't it? Absolutely humiliated that guy yeah, with that, exactly. didn't he? Yeah. Mimicking an act from the film The Return of the Pink Panther, Scotland Yard searched an apartment that was linked to the thieves, and here they found a jar of face cream, and in the jar of face cream was a blue diamond ring worth upwards of three quarters of a million dollars. We were quite I've impressed got, that yeah. they... They I've, found that. Yeah, in a jar of face cream. Um, mm -hmm. And I've got a question here, Bethan. If you worked for the police, yep. uh, you found that in a jar of face cream, you'd have it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't no. you? You no. would. You no, would. No, okay. because it would just be my luck that I'd be like, oh, this is it's empty, it's just face cream, I'll put it in the bin, put yeah, it in my pocket, walk out, and then someone says, oh, I saw a jewel in the face cream and I just left it in situ two minutes ago, ready to go get my camera, and then they'd be like, where's the face it yeah, would all just go wrong for me. Of course it would. So The Return of the Pink Panther is a 1975 comedy film and the fourth film in the Pink Panther series. The popular franchise is a series of comedy mystery films featuring an inept French police detective, Inspector Jacques Clouseau. Now, I don't know about you, Mark, but I did actually love these films as a child. Did so, you like them? Well, we were talking mm. about this earlier, weren't we? Uh, so I remember these films and uh, they were just weird. I found them really weird um, because you've obviously got a Pink Panther running around London or Paris or whatever. Yeah. And it freaked me out and I was about seven and I've never watched them since. So, uh, no, I wasn't a fan, mm. to be fair. <laughs> Awkward, but no, I quite enjoyed them, but it is bizarre, this giant like, weird. pink. Yeah, and I was really shocked when I was researching this case. There's actually 10 films, not including the remakes, mm. which is just mad. Um, Inspector Clouseau Mad is or bad? We don't want to say anything. Mm, we're not no. going to say anything. But Inspector Clouseau was portrayed by Peter Sellers, Alan Arkin, and Roger Moore. And then later in the remake and sequel, he's played by Steve Martin. So 
I'm going to probably traumatise my daughters by making them watch these films because I really mm, want to watch them again. Be careful. Mm. While the blue ring had been found, more than £22 million worth of jewellery was still missing. More than 80% of the graph jewellery stolen in 2003 has not been recovered, although Vuzovic... Oh, my God. I don't even know what I, how I said his name in the first Vuzovic. Vuzovic was also eventually caught, so both men who took part in that were eventually caught. Prior to this, New Bond Street's graph jewellery salon was targeted in 2002 by a gang suspected as being part of the Pink Panthers. So during this heist, two gang members pulled off the then-largest diamond heist in British history, stealing jewellery valued at £32 million. Now, Graphs does not have the best track record of such events. In May 2005, a raid saw the company lose a total of a million pounds worth of jewellery. And then in 2009, in a raid suspected to be attributed to the Pink Panthers, a group of men broke the previous British record and stole 43 items of jewellery worth £40 million from the same graph store that they had hit back in 2003. The stolen items were later recovered and the two suspects arrested, and they denied that they were members of the Pink Panthers, but the timing and method of the robbery strongly suggested to law enforcement that it was the work of this criminal syndicate. So we can't say for sure. No, it does sound, it's kind of their MO, isn't it? Yeah. And there is a really great episode of the podcast, Picture the Scene, whoop, whoop, which talks about this case in particular and the subsequent arrest of the men who were responsible. The incredible thing with this case was that the thieves went and had prosthetic makeup done to change their appearances so they didn't have to avoid CCTV. They could just walk around like normal but not look like them. Which we have come across before on a Patreon episode, actually. Have um, we? A hitman, it just came to me. I oh. think he used a professional makeup artist oh, yeah. I don't uh, that. so that he could kind of walk the streets and stake out someone's house um, but I remember reading about this mm-hmm. and graphs I own, I'm only aware of graphs <laughs> the upmarket jewellery chain because they just get raided so much yeah. um, so anytime they're in the paper it's usually because there's been a massive heist there yeah. and I kind of said I think they need to up the security mm-hmm. so I don't know yeah, yeah. Graphs on Sloan Street was targeted on numerous Shock. occasions, and during one raid, like you said earlier, one of the gang members arrived in a chauffeur-driven Bentley Continental flying spur and then took items worth £10 million in gunpoint. The London Graph stores weren't the only ones to be targeted by the Pink Panthers either, so it's not even like just in London. In 2007, thieves struck the Graph store inside the Wafi City Mall in Dubai, using cars to ram their way inside. The thieves reverse rammed the car so the airbag wouldn't open on impact, and so that the car was then in the perfect position to drive away afterwards. The men leapt out and began systematically smashing display cases and taking the contents. In practice movements, they were caught on CCTV, smashing the glass and grabbing the jewels in one smooth move. Within 170 seconds, they had left the store, jumped back in their cars and left the building. They planned the timing of the heist at the end of rush hour, so they knew then that when they fled down the highway, the lanes in the opposite direction from where the police would come would be jammed. They then drove to a deserted, unlit patch of land between two mansions, just minutes away from the Royal Palace, and set fire to the two cars. And then now, in a completely unknown third car, they were able to drive off calmly into the night. They had jewellery worth £2.4 million. But in this case, the items were recovered and the gang members arrested. Which is one of the rare occasions there was a recovery of the loot as well. Yeah. And I know we talk about this quite a lot, but this really hit home for me, because sometimes... It, I mean, not anymore, really, because I think we talk about it a lot, but we used to kind of think of these crimes as reasonably victimless, but ramming into a busy shopping area with a car, they could have killed someone. Being threatened at gunpoint is traumatising. Yeah, we've. I think, I mean, I've certainly been on a journey for the last couple of years with it, because I always used to kind of think these are glamorous raids and 
uh, yeah, these are rich stores, they can afford it. But when you hear about the level of trauma that the victims in these cases suffer, so the sales mm -hmm. assistants, for example, um, it is shocking. It stays with them forever. And uh, with the case that we referred to in Vegas, where they stole the Millennium necklace, uh, so there were the two sales assistants that yeah. had been distracted by two members of a four-strong gang, while the other two went in and stole this necklace. We just sort of said about that heart-stopping moment where all four members of that gang have gone. They then have that immediate realization, stomach sinking. Mm -hmm that a necklace is gone, we've been duped. And I think that would stay with me for a long time, that yeah. feeling of actual kind of embarrassment, even though you've done nothing wrong. And I think like you, in any aspect of your life, then you doubt yourself, you wouldn't have yeah. confidence. You wouldn't it would trust really people. Affect, yeah, you'd, yeah, your relationships going forward, your jobs going forward, and you haven't even had anything violent happen to you no. that you're gonna be affected, let alone anything else that happens. And. Mm. It's, it's a bizarre one, isn't it? Because actually, it, it feels like it's just, you've just taken a necklace, but actually it has so many more far-reaching yeah. consequences. Yeah, I mean, it could have bankrupted that store, I suppose. They could have been out of a job. Um, anyway, it's all got a bit serious, hasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. So, uh, in 2005, there was a seriously audacious raid in Saint-Tropez, which saw Pink Panther members blending in with wealthy holidaymakers by disguising themselves in wigs and wearing those Hawaiian shirts Bethan mentioned earlier. Would you Great ever disguise. wear a Hawaiian shirt? I can't I'd wear a Hawaiian would shirt. Would you? Yeah, Do you wear definitely. one on holiday? Uh, I'd wear anything on holiday, because I think I'm not going to know anyone. So. I just couldn't see you wearing a Hawaiian I don't know why. What about why? mankini? Could you see me rocking that on the beach? Oh, no. There's a... no one wants to see that. No. There's a mental image, crikey. Loving that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, where was I, Jesus? Uh, okay, so, yeah, the wigs and the Hawaiian shirts. So, uh, these people, these criminals, put on masks, stormed a jewellery store and stole a number of pieces before escaping on a high-powered speedboat, which was waiting nearby. That's pretty cool to be Yeah, fair, I can't deny that. that that's pretty damn cool. In 2013, the gang was allegedly responsible for a French Riviera jewel heist in which jewels valued at more than $140 million were stolen during an armed raid at the Carlton Intercontinental Hotel in Cannes. And this was a shocking raid, which saw a lone thief, so they were acting alone this time, walk into the hotel, which was at that point the site of a diamond exhibition, they're picking these targets well, um, and then walk out just a minute later with these jewels, which is just mad. And at one point, this guy, fell from a hotel window I don't know how this happened uh, but he calmly got back up grabbed his loot and made his escape and this was France's biggest jewellery theft which isn't really much of a surprise and it was actually the third in a series of similar robberies on the French Riviera um, in a short space of time around then uh, and that included other robberies which was a four million dollar uh, jewellery heist from the Cannes Film Festival which some people might remember I remember when that was in the papers in 2016, a jewellery thief stole rings worth £2 million from a Chelsea art fair at the Royal Hospital in Chelsea, and Scotland Yard described how the perpetrator simply strolled into the art fair before making off with the diamond rings. They make it sound so easy, I don't know. they? This is what I was going to say. It's like that air of confidence, yeah. isn't it? Um, so I, I, I understand how they can get away with it. It's just mad, though, that... it is possible to also just go and pick them up. Like I get that you can't have them completely under lock and key because people want to come and look and that's the whole point you're having an art fair, but 
How easily accessible mm. are you making your jewels, guys? Come on. Even the Millennium necklace worth a million dollars in that store in Vegas, in the and Venetian Grand And they've been able Grand to pick Canal, a lock or whatever they did to get yeah. in that case. Yeah. You'd think it'd be guarded like the Mona Lisa. I'm guessing that's worth a bit more. But uh, So um, the Pink Panthers haven't restricted themselves to just jewellery, though. In 2008, they targeted a museum in Zurich in Switzerland where gang members pulled off the largest art heist in European history. Armed men wearing dark clothing and with masks covering their faces entered the Emile Burl Foundation half an hour before it closed and made off with Cezanne's boy in the red waistcoat, Monet's poppy fielder Vatul, Ludovic Lepix and his daughter's by Edgar Degas, which Bethan had to help me pronounce that earlier. I still <laughs> fucked it up. And Vincent van Gogh's Blooming Chestnut Branches. And these four paintings were worth a combined £84 million. And that was back in 2008. So in today's market, you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds, which is rather audacious art heist. Incredible. We're going to use the word audacious a lot in this episode, yeah, aren't we? It's an overkill. Yeah. Better than fuck. Oh, we, got, we did so well and you hadn't sworn yet. Oh. I definitely had so far. I'm oh sorry, <laughs> There are so many other crimes that haven't been solved that could be attributed to the Pink Panthers. And even when crimes have been solved, people do still wonder whether the criminals were part of this massive gang. But despite the number of successful robberies, a number of members of the Pink Panthers have been caught. And also, when the robbers themselves have been caught, sometimes the jewellery isn't actually found, so those diamonds are cut, polished and altered, and then they can't be traced back to the original, and it's done quite quickly afterwards. Mm. And we kind of said with this, when we were talking about this this part of it earlier, um, you kind of understand it's the, the planning of the raid, carrying out the raid, is only really a part of it. You need to have planned the latter stages yeah. and the fencing and uh, knowing the experts to get these uh, these goods essentially valued perhaps and cut up in the right way so that they can be sold uh, without being traced back to the original so sad crime in itself isn't it these beautiful diamonds being butchered being butchered and we were saying though as well like when you think of the Brinks mat robbery and then suddenly Mm. being like well we can melt gold but what do we do with all this it's stuff like that if you don't have a plan that's where you're going to get unstuck yeah so it also appears that either many panthers don't know the others or at least that they are willing to keep silent about any other members in the group and there's a real honour among thieves uh, thing with this actually with the Pink Panthers and there also seems to be quite a bit of camaraderie amongst members including daring attempts to break one another out of jail in a 2010 article in the New Yorker a writer met with a Serbian man who went by the name of Eugene who claimed to have knowledge of the Pink Panthers various operations according to Eugene the group is made of made up of people who, whilst they don't know each other specifically, are linked by a similar goal. He said, they hate everybody. How lovely. Uh, (laughs) They hate Germany, the Vatican, the USA, their own government. They're junkies who hate. You get a call from a guy, you meet 10 other guys and you get paid. Some are cousins, some are good friends. All of them will be in prison in five to ten years, which I'm not so sure about the last part because I think they're pretty damn good at what they do. I think they are, but I think if you're if you're fueled by kind of greed and stuff, you're going to make little mistakes here and there. And actually, quite often that there was like fingerprints hmm. or stuff that would catch them or CCTV. And I think maybe they were better at the very beginning before technology got better. And that has changed a lot. Yeah, in terms yeah. of. Even CCTV systems are much more mm-hmm. sophisticated now. Other uh, alarm-type 
shit it's more sophisticated too um, and I just want to say on this so uh, this guy Eugene who said he had this inside track on the Pink Panthers mm. um, he does say they were junkies who hate and I just wondered mm. does he mean that in the way that we would perhaps use that term which is not a term we actually like to use and I definitely use lots of terms that people wouldn't be happy with but I don't like to use that term so I just wondered are they drug addicts is that what he means oh see I didn't even think of that yeah. I was thinking of it as in like um, they're addicted to the thrill of it all and they're addicted to raids and stuff the fix of a raid maybe right because I think the way that they're the way that they plan and everything I don't think you could do that if if you're off your tits for want of a better (laughs) phrase (laughs) not really sure how to put it but I don't think you'd be able to come up with these I reckon you could Bethan (laughs) off a face I'm off my face every day Mark I know she is (laughs) fucking nightmare I had to say it before you said it didn't I Let's not talk about IB, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll cut, definitely cut that bit out, won't I? Oh, dear. Right, carry on. I'm worried about what you know about now. In 2004, three Pink Panthers were convicted of stealing the Comtesse de Vendôme necklace in Japan's biggest jewellery heist, so the one that you mentioned before, this necklace that was worth more than $31 million, and it was composed of 116 diamonds and that 125-carat diamond centrepiece. So the robbers were eventually captured, but that necklace was never recovered. In 2008, three members of the Pink Panthers from Serbia were found guilty of robberies carried out in, oh, I said it wrong, Berit, Cannes, Courchevel, and Saint-Tropez by a court in Chambray. And in 2009, a Pink Panther member from Montenegro called Rifat Hazjometovic, I left that one for me. I did leave that for me because I didn't want you to think I was giving more to you. Um, He was arrested in Cyprus for trying to leave the island using a fake passport. He was then extradited to Spain over a 2008 robbery on the Spanish island of Tenerife. And then the Spanish government agreed to hand him over to Japan, where he was convicted for his part in a raid in a shop in Ginza, where he sprayed a sales assistant with mace to take a tiara and necklace. I mean... That's horrendous, isn't it? It's Mm. not at gunpoint, but that's still going to be painful. It's violent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he was sentenced to 10 years. Three more members of the gang were caught in Athens in 2012 while conducting a recce in an upmarket district. So police on patrol were suspicious when they saw two men wearing wigs and carrying firearms and axes. Not surprised they were suspicious (laughs) about that. Um, A chase ensued in which a police officer was shot and injured. And in this case, both men were arrested. Their arrest led police to a woman called Olivera Vasic-Serkovic as well. And there are a number of trials and convictions for members of the Pink Panthers, also a number of escapes. So just like the heist, these could be scenes from a film. In July 2012, Olivera Vasic-Serkovic, she escaped from prison in Athens when an accomplice entered the prison on the pretext of delivering art supplies, knocked out a guard, stole her keys, and then came and let Olivera out. We're going to come on to another daring escape from prison in a moment, but I can kind of understand how they're able to plan these quick escapes from prison because they can plan these amazing heists and they happen in, you know, seconds. So it's almost like transferable skills, I guess. Yeah, pop it on your CV. Yeah, yeah, pop it on your CV. But I think it is true because you've got a shop with CCTV and alarms and that sort of thing. And then in prison, you've got people manning the doors and with keys and things. It's 
it is transferable. Yeah. Slightly different vibe, but still possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dragan Mikic, an alleged ringleader of the syndicate, was arrested and sentenced to prison in Switzerland, but he made a daring escape, which is as much basically out of a movie as anything the Pink Panthers have actually done themselves. So in the early afternoon of a Saturday in October 2005, Mikic entered the prison courtyard for his usual walk and his associates parked up outside. After ramming open a prison gate with a van and smashing through barbed wire separating the gate from the yard inside, they opened fire with Kalashnikovs and attacked the watchtower of the prison. They then put two ladders against a perimeter wall, climbed up and threw a pair of wire cutters and a third ladder into the prison yard which Mikic used to make his escape. And all the while the guards were pinned down by automatic weapon fire. So this was a horrendous raid mm. uh, on this prison and the escapee and their accomplices then set fire to the van and fled at high speed in a second vehicle um, and it reminded me a bit because that's a pretty daring escape yeah. went without a hitch uh, reminded me of uh, an episode that Adam did on the UK True Crime podcast <laughs> uh, which was a prison escape and a helicopter landed in a prison yard and the inmate got in and off they popped you know it's like absolutely how is that possible it's ridiculous um, but clearly uh, is and I think in this one as well this um, escape another prisoner kind of went I'll have a bit of that and just you made would. his way yeah. over, the, over the fence as well he was just kind of like let's go for it so I think it wouldn't even just be the person you're trying to get out it would be mm. other people too yeah why not in June 2009, French police in Monte Carlo detained another three members of the Pink Panthers who were seen loitering near jewellery shops in Monaco. One of the three arrested was none other than Dragan Mikic, uh, who was on Interpol, Interpol's most wanted list at this point. So this is three years after he'd escaped out of prison. Aww. Three or four years, he'd not learned his lesson, um, was busted again, unfortunately. Oh he must have thought, prison. I got out, but... Was he busted out again? Possibly. I don't think so, I think oh. he's just in prison still. Okay. I think it's really interesting how the robberies attributed to the Pink Panthers have kind of slowed down now. So obviously we spoke about 2016 with walking into the art fair, but yeah. you don't hear as much. And I think technology's making it increasingly hard, not only to steal the items, but avoid capture afterwards. Mm. And when I was researching this case and writing the script, it kind of got me thinking about how these people, if the theories are correct, were obviously so uprooted and disillusioned by war that they did what they felt they could to just not only make money but get back at the aristocracy so now the years have passed technology continues they're getting older i wonder maybe they're like less excited by the thrill of it maybe they they've settled down a little bit maybe they don't feel as angry i, I part of me also thinks maybe their work is done so um, they they had an agenda, a political agenda almost, and this was their way of mm -hmm. getting back at the establishment and the aristocracy, yeah, people that pillaged their country, uh, their home countries. So I kind of think maybe they have done their work, yeah. done what they needed to do. Maybe they've just sold all that jewellery and they're living on the Costa del Sol and they're kind of done. But um, I also think, I do think a massive part of the reason that it's come to an end largely and we don't hear about them as much now is because technology, like we said before, mm. I think it's moved on so much in the last 10 years as we're all aware. And I think it's just much bloody harder to carry out a raid now like that. Yeah. Um, it's hard to rob a bank and most people do cybercrime as you crime, know as you well know as I well know <laughs> uh, so have fantasised about that I can't deny but it but it is it's, it's or a so building much society more, I'm not precious not precious yeah. <laughs> but it is it's more technologically driven crime is just so different you think back to the types of crimes that would have happened and it was more 
I don't know, like more personal, you had to put your own self at risk a little bit more because you'd maybe have yeah. guns involved and that sort of thing and you'd be doing something specific whereas now you can sit behind a computer screen potentially or or something different. I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. Thank you uh, for being here to our Thank live audience. Thank you for audience. joining us, everybody. Yeah. Thank you to everybody listening at home or wherever the hell you're listening I to us from. I don't have all these people in my bedroom no, when this I'm is recording. Weird for us. Uh, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much to you guys, thank William. You really appreciate the support. Thank you. Oh, this is lovely. been listening to crime conversations recorded live at CrimeCon london 2022 partnered by cbs reality for more information on future crime con events visit crimecon.co.uk